0: This is Eastman's Elevated Podcast. I have on great guests that are really knowledgeable, consistently successful. We're able to dive deep down the rabbit holes of these different subject matters of shooting, of physical fitness, of mental toughness and drive. All the different skills that make up a complete hunter that you can become.
1: Here's your host, Brian Barney.
0: Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have on my friend Todd Helms. So Todd is the editor at Eastman's Hunting Journals. Uh, so he is the editor for both magazines, and um, man, he's a he's a good friend of mine. So uh, we fish together. We fish the salmon fly hatch quite a bit. And um he's he's just a, a really solid woodsman and that goes for bird hunting, for fishing, and for big game hunting. Uh, he's a really good big game hunter any, talks to all these successful archers, successful rifle hunters, and gets their stories for the magazine. And so uh, Todd has quite accomplished himself. But um, yeah, I have him on the podcast for an in-depth conversation, and he nailed it. It was like uh, such a great back and forth. I really enjoyed it. It was uh, tips and tactics that just helped make you a better hunter. And, and just some of the things... You know, both from the 30,000 foot level of like discipline and and looking at hunting and how to become better and put in the work, but also the in depth, like the like the secrets uh, of hunting the West, you know, or like trying to find your niche. And so just made for a great back and forth. Thanks for Todd taking the time being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I also want to thank Savage Arms for sponsoring the podcast. So uh, Savage builds the best out-of-the-box accurate rifles on the planet. Like they're just really good shooting rifles. Uh, They have a, a ton of different models. So you can find a different model if you're looking for a budget rifle. You can go all the way up to our favorite, the 110 Ultralight. It's a lightweight rifle, synthetic stock. Accu-Trigger, Accu-Stock, so the Accu-Trigger you can adjust yourself without a gunsmith. Lighten up that trigger for a real accurate rifle. The Accu-Stock is like you can adjust the length of pull and also adjust the comb height so that you just fit perfectly into that scope. So uh, really accurate rifles, like I know mine, I had it set up like within a few shots. Like I've had rifles where I gotta mess with the load and find the right one it gets along with and then you know, uh, uh, it's a process like sighting in these rifles. And this thing was like almost one and done, like a handful of sh- shells and it was putting good groups right in the center. So just amazing rifles, good shooting rifles. So check them out if you're in the market for them over at Savage Arms. I also want to thank Sig Sauer. Uh, so impressed with Sig Sauer optics. I've been using them now. Gosh, it's been the last handful or five, six years. Uh, I really believe, uh, they're, they're, their binos are top notch, like their high-end glass, which are gonna be those um, Oscar tens are gonna be like um, really good high end, low light glass. I've got a pair of the the fifteens. I've also got a pair of the tens. And um, yeah, the fifteens on a tripod are just deadly. I also think they build the best uh, range rangefinders on the market. So um, I've got that Kilo 5K. I can actually put the speed of my bow in there to get the exact cuts for up and downhill. Shoots the same accurate ranges at light and dark targets. If I put it on uh, best target priority mode like it'll shoot through grass it's just a range that um, I can really trust and shoot for and helps make me a better archer Uh, they also have spotting scopes they got image stabilizing binos the only place to do this with their high-end glass I really like them I've been using the 12 by 42s carrying the 16 by 42s in my pack so uh, that rifle scopes like on that savage just a, a great lineup of optics, a good price point for good high-end glass. So make sure to check them out over there at Six Hour. I also want to thank Black Ovis. So Black Ovis is an internet retail shop that has absolutely everything you need for your next hunt. So they carry the top name brands as well as their own name brand. And right now you can save 10% by putting in the promo code EXTRA10. Uh, so they have a knowledgeable staff that can answer questions. Um, man, I've been looking like, uh, I was talking about the upgrades that I'm going to do, uh, Black Ovis. I'm, I'm actually, my buddy Dylan got one of those freeze dryers. thing's just amazing. Like, um, we did a day fishing here and he brought one of the meals from home. Those freeze dryers, they're, um... They're not cheap, but boy, do they do a good job. And speaking of that, like the ReadyWise, they were next to our booth in the expo, and I was really impressed with their freeze-dried meals at ReadyWise. So that'd be like something that I could look for on Black Ovis. So anyways, couple upgrades I'll be making this year and um, be looking around at gear and always can save that money with that 10% off discount over at Black Ovis. Just put in the promo code EXTRA10. Thanks to those guys for their support. I also want to thank Camo Fire. So Camo Fire is an app where you can save tons of money. There's great deals that come up on overstocked items or comes up just on um, uh, good items that they have, you know, that they're trying to get rid of. But they offer a huge discount, so you just download the app Camo Fire, and there's 80 new hunting deals that come up every 24 hours, and uh, you can get them from there. And with that, over at Eastman's, make sure to check out the magazines, the Beyond the Grid. Uh, we've got some expo recordings coming up. Uh, check out the other podcast with Dan Picard, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Life of a Bow Hunter. And um, man, with that, let's get into this podcast. It's a great one with Todd Helms. And we went a little bit long today. I just kept the whole entirety of the podcast on there. So uh, it we're getting mics set up in the beginning, but. Um, it starts out uh, pretty quick and get into a good conversation. So, thanks to Todd, let's get this thing rolling. I'm your host, Brian Barney Eastman's Elevated. Here you go.
1: A long time. Oh, I know it. I think one of the best podcasts that I've ever been a part of was the few episodes we did for Flycast. Oh, I know. Those that, were right? so good. It's have you guys um, like physically rotate? I, uh, like uh, shift Todd this way, like me go that yeah, way. Yeah, The work. Yeah. <laughs> the <table is> fine. <laughs> oh.
0: Yeah, those episodes, <laughs> those episodes were awesome. Yeah, they were right. It's going to be tough not to talk
1: fishing with you. No, yeah, I think we can delve into that a little bit. Yeah, just can't be the main focus. You know, I do that on the on the Wingman podcast. If we get off on a big game tangent, I don't care. Mm -hmm. We just bring it back around. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all hunting. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's face it, most of the big game guys or most of the waterfall guys that I'm talking to, they deer hunt a little bit or they do some sort of big game too. So...
0: It's a good way to think of it where you don't, like, um, get yourself in a corner where that's all you talk yeah. about. It's like, yeah, it's big game hunting, but I've done 400 and some episodes. Right. Like, eventually, it has right. to come down to, like, your life and exactly. your family. Yeah, and exactly. It comes down, you know, I do talk fly fishing here and there. Mm-hmm. As there's so many correlations between big game hunting. So. I just no, you're. Sp- you spot. Oh, thanks. Am I okay now? You're fine. Okay. letting you know i moved it
1: so you trip. Okay, thanks. No, you're spot on with that. I talk family stuff and about fatherhood and being a good husband and you know balance work life balance and I mean you talk about this stuff all the time Mm -hmm. because if you just talk ducks or goose hunting or whatever it might be, it's the same thing over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. And yeah, everybody's got a little different
0: spin, but well, and podcasts. It's like they're informational, but they also have to be entertaining. That's right. You know, and so you want to mix and match that in there. And mine's probably like heavy informative, but. Are we recording? I'm a lot. Yeah, I'm recording. All right. Are yeah, we're sure? good to go. Because we're, you know. t- we're going already, just like Brian and I do. Okay, good. Yeah, that's I, it. I <laughs> so uh, oh. you, you're getting teased about the record button a bit. So you run the Wingman podcast. I do. And we were just talking like we've done such good podcasts on Flycast, yes. and then also Eastman's Elevated. But mm-hmm. it's been too long since yeah. we got together and did a podcast.
1: Yeah, you and know, I both go separate directions so so often that we don't necessarily you know wade the same river mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, for lack of a better term, but. We I have had I was just saying I have had probably the best recordings that that I've been a part of. Some of them definitely were on that Flycast podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, hint hint, it's still out there. It's still available to listen to. There's some awesome episodes on there, and we'd love a reason to fire that back up. We sure would. Go yeah. listen to it. Make some comments on it, you guys. It'd be, <laughs> that'd be cool. Yeah, I do have a buddy that um, took over. Um, Southern culture on the fly. Sam mm-hmm. Bailey, we had him on that podcast, and he has expressed some interest in maybe possibly hosting that. Oh, that'd be if cool. we could get it going again. But mm-hmm. Sam's anyway. a great guy. He's yeah, fun, he's man. your fishing buddy from way he back, right? Yeah, you and know, I fished together for a really long time. You mm-hmm. know, one of those relationships that you know it seems like hunting buddies and fishing buddies don't always like a lot of times guys are one or the other Mm -hmm. and Sam and I've hunted together. I think we could waterfall hunt together just fine, but we tried to big game hunt together a couple of times. It was like, no, we're fishing buddies. (laughs) (laughs) And we have a ton of fun fishing together, but definitely uh, coming at the big game side of things from a different,
0: two different angles Mm -hmm. well we're we're definitely fishing buddies and i don't think we've shared a hunt but i love your insight into hunting you know and uh the conversations that we're able to have and you've done such a great job with the wingman podcast and the conversations on there you work really hard at it man
1: it's fun it's fun you know it doesn't feel like i've been working real hard at it this year because we've had no birds until now and now it's too cold Mm -hmm. you know it's like 15 degrees below zero outside this morning real feel of negative 30 um you're not hunting water so you're really you're limited to hunt to a dry land hunt Mm -hmm. and with work and everything with work schedules i haven't been able to scout as much as i need to Mm -hmm. and so i haven't produced a lot of video content for wingmen yet this year but it's coming you Mm -hmm. know we've got an entire almost a full month left we've got about five days left six days left of duck season and then goose runs for almost a month Mm -hmm. after that so we've got some time plus turkeys in the spring um and then planning a couple different snow goose hunts so we'll get our content it's just right now i feel like i've just kind of been spinning my wheels Mm -hmm. it's like in a fall when the elk rut is lagging behind, and you're like,
0: Ugh! yep, you or know, late season, you don't have the snow. It's <laughs> yeah, the that happened thing, to me this year know? too. It's uh. like everything we do can be so weather dependent, yes. you know, and that's big game hunting, bird hunting, yeah. it's fishing. It's like everything we do. Well, I'm I'm interested to see, like a for a thought experiment. Like I really think. You know, we do all these different facets. And so you're really into your big game hunting, you're really into your fly fishing, really into your bird hunting. I think bird hunting makes you a better big game hunter. And so I think like this, like, you get to shoot a bunch, preach which is it, really preach fun it Brian. with birds. Preach but it. I think these birds are so tough with a with a shotgun, with the lead, and it's such a feel for the gun. And I remember when I first started, I could shoot a box of shells and maybe only end up with right. a duck or two. Right. But you start getting good at it, and you're able to control this adrenaline when the, when the ducks cup their wings and they're coming into the decoys. You know, the first time you shoot at them, you didn't even look at your bead or line up your shotgun. Yep. But pretty soon, you get pretty good at controlling yourself, yeah. leading the bird, executing good shots and then birds just start to die i think that really carries over into big game hunting and since you're shooting a box of shells a day and you may only shoot once on big game or a a handful of times on big game you like you get all this extra experience in shooting these birds handling your adrenaline and i think that carries over to big game so are you um have you ever missed big game um you want the truth? <laughs> of course,
1: I haven't missed ever. <laughs> but it, it does make once. you better, right? Don't no, you agree does. with that? It does. And uh, I, I, you and I've had this conversation before. Dan Picard and I've had this conversation. Um, you know, I've, I've always, I've always kind of said that rif- shooting a rifle is pretty mechanical, pretty scientific. You know, shooting a rifle is math. Shooting a shotgun is art, and. I would equate archery, bow hunting, to art, much more like shooting a shotgun, and especially the closer you get to instinctive shooting. You know, if you're if you're a trad guy, if you're shooting a trad bow or a stick bow, you, then it's complete instinct, and it's just like, it's exactly the same as shooting a shotgun. There's mechanics involved, where you have those fundamental mechanics that have to be right, they have to line up, but... After those mechanics are established through repetition and and perfect practice, because practice doesn't make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. And after those things are established, then that muscle memory kicks in, and your brain just knows what your body needs to do. And yes, so in that regard, shooting a shotgun is very much like shooting a bow, um, even with a sight. It, the more the more perfect practice that you have done with a bow. And what I mean by perfect practice is you're not just flinging arrows. You're concentrating on the fundamental mechanics of the shot process. So you're not developing target panic. You're not developing a flinch. You're not, whatever it might be, you're not canting your bow or you're canting it exactly the same every time or whatever it might be. Um, so when the moment of truth arrives, your sight picture of those pins on that animal just is instinctive yeah you're still using a sight but you're not using a sight like a rifle like through a rifle scope mm-hmm. and even with a rifle you know that perfect practice you're building that muscle memory to the point where the sight picture is just right and you just pull the trigger mm-hmm. or squeeze the trigger whatever whatever you're doing whatever process you've built in so i do think there's a connection i i've said this before on the Wingmen podcast um in reference specifically to my brother if you want to be good at hunting, you have to hunt, and I think that the more different types of hunting you do and do seriously and get good at, the better overall you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I know so many guys that from from the Midwest where I grew up that, especially during archery seasons, could come out here and pick up a you know pick up an, a Colorado archery elk tag, easy to get, right? come out and shoot a bull every year. And, yeah, how do you do that? You live in Wisconsin. How do you do that? You live in Michigan, or you're from here. You know, they don't have mountains. They don't have this. They don't have that. But they hunt so much other stuff that they just know how to hunt. They know animal behavior. They know there's an instinctual thing that's built up where if if you get guys that only focus on waterfowl, for example, or they only focus on mule deer or whatever it might be, they're specialists and they've specialized in certain things. And in those things, there's nobody, there may not be anybody better, but overall there may be some holes in their repertoire. And I think the more you hunt anything, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm famous for saying this apparently, but rats at the dump, (laughs) you know, it's hunting. The more you hunt and and really into it and get into it, the more it just becomes – an extension of who you are, and you can apply a
0: lot of those fundamentals unilaterally. Hundred mm-hmm. percent, man. It, it's you know, it's not just the shooting as well. Like shooting with a shotgun, you can outthink yourself too, or 100%. with a bow. And, and the different you know a bow it has movement so yeah Mm -hmm. you have these sights and you have this aim but you have this movement and and with the shotgun it seems like I can outthink myself by leading too far trying to outthink where when you get in this flow state and this feel state and 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 everything's right birds just start dying yes I think there's so many other facets that go along with it is like you know it it is discipline of being out there day after day or being out there and striking out and continuing to go it it's being able to read where the birds are landing and figuring out the fields or figuring out the river or the setup or the decoys like there's so much to it that you're right like experience is the best teacher but you really have to take in that information and even being a specialist like you're stating like I see guys that get really good at hunting mule deer in one region or in one spot in the mountains. But if you can hunt that species in different habitats from the desert to the foothills to the breaks to the badlands to the mountains and figure out all these different habitats. And then you're starting to figure out different species of elk and mule deer and antelope. It just makes you like this better overall hunter and then you can solve these equations or these problems or challenges of these units better when you go to a new place and i think bird hunting does that i think fly fishing does that and and i think that's why we love like these other endeavors as
1: well as big game hunting i i've gotten to the point brian too where i just and i've always i was telling my kids the other day it's the temperature here is brutal right now and i was taking them to school and they were Talking about not going outside, you know they don't let them go outside for recess when it's this cold. And I'm like, dude, that wasn't a thing when I was a kid. It didn't matter how cold it was, you were outside, which is probably not true, but that's the way I remember it anyway. You know, anyway, but I I remember as a as a kid when we got big bad winter storms, and I'd I'd layer up, go outside and try to start a fire someplace with like a flint and steel. You know, constantly testing those skills. And I've got to the point where I got a buddy that's into bushcrafting. I love going and doing that stuff with him. Now, mm-hmm. is it going to be my passion? No. But to go and snowshoe five miles into the mountains someplace this time of year when it's 20 below or 30 below at night and see if you can survive till morning. And we do it quite easily because he's really good at it, you know, and we build shelters, we do that stuff. All that stuff is just time in the outdoors, honing skills, becoming and being becoming a better outdoorsman. And I think that's what I never wanted to be like this great waterfowler or this great elk hunter. I wanted to be a great outdoorsman, mm-hmm. well-rounded, well-versed, know a lot about a lot of different things and be able to take all those skills and apply them, bring them to bear. I, You know, I think about uh, um that show alone and i love that i love that silly me show too. i yeah, love that show yeah me too and the guy that won recently uh was he's from idaho his name's um clay clay hayes mm-hmm. right yeah love that guy mm-hmm. i love that guy and i'm glad to see him having some success on social media now and and he's got some really cool youtube hunts where he's like hunting cow elk in late season with a flintlock you know and it's like that's tough mm-hmm. you got i just i like that because the two guys that I liked the most on that show were him and then that Jordan uh, from one of the first seasons they did in Alaska. He killed a moose mm-hmm. with a home with a bow, and uh, later on in the show killed a Wolverine. It was trying to get his moose. He killed it with that with, a, with yeah. his axe. Yeah, you know,
0: stole all his fat from his moose. Yeah, he was, yep. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. those guys were outdoorsmen. Mm-hmm. There, they weren't just hunters they weren't just fly fishermen they did everything and they had all that big skill set to draw upon mm-hmm. in a lot of different situations yeah. and i that's what i've always tried to to be
0: mm-hmm. and it served me pretty well i think for you're the doing most part. it man yeah you're pretty good at all these things <laughs> oh, man, which that. is fun but uh you bring up like a, a really good topic in point like i talk about being a, a successful western hunter and all the skill sets needed you know you got to be able to shoot you got to be able to be mentally tough you got to be able to be in good shape and there's right. like all these facets knowledge and skill that go into it but one of the things that I don't talk about much which I should talk about more is is like wood sense yes. the stuff that you're talking about like to have good wood sense is a skill that I have as well that I've honed over all these years but it's like It does no good if you're so good at map research, but the first snowstorm that comes in, it pushes you out of the mountains or you head home. You know, you got to be able to survive and be comfortable out in the mountains. You've got to right. be able to deal with big lightning storms that come in, snowstorms, rainstorms. you got to have your gear dialed to be able to backpack into these places and have your sleeping bag for the right temperating. to have your clothing and know that you have all your necessary layers to make it through all these different seasons. So when I think about this cold, like I'm really good and disciplined about getting my runs in and it's been tough as this cold comes in. I've been running on dry dirt and setting all these wrecks for times and then this snowstorm comes in the last two weeks it's been bitter cold and I've been running in you know inches if not feet of snow I'm so slow it's yeah it's so tough out there but I just think I'm like getting myself ready for next season, late season muleys. Yep. When when like the cold takes a different kind of toughness to yeah, be able 100%. to thrive out in it, you know, and so this is improving that skill set. But I think what you talk about with that wood sense and really getting comfortable in the woods uh, plays such a major role in consistent success, you know, and, and that's what, what you have and what I have as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, how do you get that?
1: Well, you just do it. You go out and you do it, and you do stuff intentionally. You know, you go out and you sleep in cold weather. You test your gear. You know, you just go do things like that. You do hard things, and it's amazing what you can survive. It's amazing what you can thrive in. You know, you going out and and putting in the miles running – I mean, everybody, everybody take one look at me and being like, yeah, that guy doesn't run. He, You know, I like to joke. I don't run because I'm not afraid of anything. Oh, you he lift heavy things. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Everybody's got the stuff that they're good at, and you, yeah. play, and you play to your strengths. There's totally. no doubt about that. But I think about guys like you that are out, you know, grinding road miles in or trail miles in, in this stuff, and I'm like, dude, that's brutal, you know. But ha- just getting out and doing it, you're just building toughness. You're building – Knowledge base. You're building things. You know, I think about some of the some of the things I've learned in while hunting waterfowl, but observing other animals at the same time. If you're doing it right, especially if you're by yourself, there's more there's more there's more opportunity to just sit quietly. Um, Waterfowl is not a real quiet endeavor. You know, you're usually banging quite a bit with guns, and the dogs are made. You know, it's not a, a quiet observation time but there's times when it can be and some of the things that I've observed mule deer for example doing is you know I remember I was sitting on um, a river in south central Montana hunting ducks one morning didn't have a Montana deer tag but it was November the rut was going and I got to watch several different bucks rut there was one big buck that had a a doe locked down and he was on an island in the river and watching their behavior and how he kept those other deer at bay and the fact that the spot he'd chosen to get out of the, get out of the way and be kind of hidden and secluded. And you talk about this in, in, on your podcast, but also in what you write, a lot of the, the biggest mule deer, even during the rut when they're naive or a little less sophisticated, shall we say, (laughs) They're still not dumb, and they like out-of-the-way, secluded spots. All your biggest deer, for the most part, are going to go someplace like that. And he was. He was out on this island. There was no human presence. The other bucks, he could keep them at bay pretty easily. And I remember sitting there in that morning watching. It was a slow duck morning. I wasn't doing any banging. I don't think it would have bothered him if, if I did. But... Being looking at that, I've been able to apply some of that. And like last year, I got lucky into a really good tag and vast, huge unit. But there's parts of it that there's parts of it that in the late season you're not just not going to get to. But most of the time, the deer aren't going to want to be in there anyway because the snow is deep enough, they don't want to be there. There's other parts that are private land that you can't touch, right? So, what is what's left? What's the I, I, I tried to hunt the most secluded. Difficult to get to out-of-the-way little sanctuary spots that I could find. That's where I ultimately found my biggest deer.
0: So smart, man. And, um, yeah, so uh, you can watch that hunt on Beyond the Grid. It's one of my favorites ones of this past season. I really enjoyed it. It was was such a great hunt. It was a fun hunt. hunt. You also mentioned um uh you're the editor of both eastman's bow hunting journal and eastman's hunting journal and so we'll get into that as well but uh you're just bringing up so many good points like uh like observing that mule deer and learning its behavior it's spending time with these animals that we hunt you get to know like that's another major piece of this uh, uh consistent success is being able to read the mannerisms and behavior of these animals being able to like uh Uh, be able to tell the why they're in this drainage or this basin or why they're hanging here and then be able to to use that information to find other spots within the unit but just to be able to read like I can tell what a mule deer is thinking or an elk is thinking just by looking at them right you know you can I can tell by their horn position if they're uh, looking for danger Mm -hmm. if they're relaxed if they're feeding if they're rutting a doe and a lot of times, you know, a deer will look right at me and a cameraman and cameraman will go, Oh, he sees us. And it's like, no, he doesn't see us. He's looking past us. Yes, He's looking for danger, but he hasn't picked up on us or our movement yet. And yeah. so like kind of knowing what an animal's thinking, being able to read his body language tells you when you can move and when you have to freeze, it tells you how Such, aggressive you yes. can be on the hunt. Yes. So being able to to read this off animals, it's like, not only are you reading that, but you're reading the birds that you're hunting. Right. You know, it's like there's so many correlations between the two. But being able to know what an animal is thinking or doing or how it's reacting is another major piece of the puzzle. If we didn't have that, I don't know that we'd ever kill a deer or an elk. You
1: know, that's a really, really solid point. And when you were talking about looking past you mm-hmm. or seeing you but not putting all the pieces together, you know, the famous saying of you can you can trick a, a deer or an elk's Eyes and ears, but never his nose, right? Which is true. That reminds me. That was we had a I had a bow hunt that I was helping out on. It was a the really good tag here locally that we were talking about. Um, a friend and his son drew it, and didn't really know a lot about the unit. I said, "Well, I do," and I don't. I didn't draw. I have a general, but I'm not planning on hunting it till the end of the month. I'd love to come and help. You know. And so I, I was designated caller, you know, and designated, I, I know the area really well because it's close to home and we recreate in there a lot. And anyway, second, second evening of the hunt, um, we'd have, we'd have able to observe a, a pretty good rut fest going on the, the evening before in a, in a big rainstorm and just really no way to get on those elk because it was, they were already out cause it was raining. They wanted to be out in the open and they want to be in the woods and it was kind of like, okay, you you might be able to get up there, but that's a lot of eyes and ears and noses. And so let's sit back, watch what they do. We'll get on them. So the next evening we went up there. We're working our way up. And this, I had just done a kind of a cold calling sequence where I just kind of a little, a little bugle every little way going up the this ridge. So there was a ton of elk in there the evening before. And this bull pops over and he's got us pinned. But we're right against the edge of the park, so the timbers were right next to it, and he's standing on the top of the ridge looking at us, and we're like, "Don't move!" Obviously, we're, we're 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 pegged, right? But I could tell by his body language, like he didn't know what we were. He could see us. There's no doubt. He had to been blind not to see us, but because our outs our we didn't have a silhouette because we were broken up with the timber in the background and we were wearing, you know, Cryptek camo. So we were, our, our outlines, everything was disappearing that he just couldn't put two and two together. And he, he did the deal where, you know, they'll stand there and look at you. And then he kind of moves a little bit and he turned his head. And when he turned his head, I was like now. And I, I ducked in the trees and the other guys hit knees and got set up. And I think I, I bugled a couple times and cow Cal called once and he was in their lap at 12 yards and they killed him, you know? And it just so happened that as mm-hmm. this was all going on, there was another bull working down the other side of the, of the meadow. And he heard, um, heard me calling and mm-hmm. comes running in and the kid shot him. Oh, wow. So we had two dead bulls on laying in the same a hundred yards apart. Sent the kid back down like, get everybody with a backpack, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> but it was, uh, that's a that's a really strong case in point where elk, especially during the rut, and I think deer too, just because they see you doesn't mean they know what you are. Mm-hmm.
0: I always think of these ungulates, uh, you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, you can fool their eyes, you can fool their ears, you can't fool their nose, which I think is really true. And I think these animals, they pick up on movement so much. And I do think like that cryptech Uh, to break up your outline. I think that really helps. Uh, You know, I think it's an advantage, especially bow hunting in close. Uh, But it seems like these animals, they catch movement. Like that's what they catch more than anything. And it seems like if an elk or deer catches movement, they look in that direction to confirm that movement before they react. So they catch a little movement, they whip their head over, they look in that direction. Now, if you move when they're staring at you, the gig's blown up. But if you just hold still, there's a lot of times when I've had cows look at me, mule deer bucks look at me, and they catch that little bit of movement and I freeze and see them at the same time. And then they swing their head around. They look in my direction and they will stare sometimes for for minutes, tens of minutes looking to confirm that movement. But if they don't confirm that movement, a lot of times they go back to being elk or being deer. So if you get really good at freezing and, and you talked about your buddy hitting his knees, but he hit his knees when the elk looked away like one of the common mistakes i see guys make is like as soon as they see an elk they try to hit their knees and so they don't have this standing Mm -hmm. human profile and then the animals see that movement and blow out so there's like a time and a place but i think if you can learn to freeze when these animals look at you you're just going to gain opportunities on it and i think another good point that you made too like um you do a really good job of um helping Uh, your friends and your family out you hunt a lot with your wife you hunt with a lot with the friends around the office in fact a lot of the guy's success is due to your knowledge in a lot of these elk units and such so you do a good job of really helping your friends and family to be successful but also what you're doing is gaining experience there you go so these these tags are like tough to come by these hunts are tough to come by but you're able to gain more experience because you're going with your buddies that have a tag and helping them out. And the whole time, whether you're pulling the trigger or not, you're learning and, and you're taking in this information, yeah. which in turn is making you like a, a better Western hunter.
1: I think that's, yeah, there's no question about that. And, and Brian, I'd, I'd love to hunt. And if it means, and if, if hunting with friends because they have tags and I don't means I get to hunt more, that's what I'm going to do. You know, and I see that a lot in it's becoming even more prevalent in especially states that are hard to draw. I think about the the Utah folks, man. And they'll see you'll see these gripping grin pictures. And I'm not dogging on the folks from Utah. I'm I'm commiserating with you because you see these gripping grins, there'll be, you know, the shooter with this big bowler buck, and there'll be ten to twelve or more other people. Well, yeah, because it's they no, they can't draw a tag, They can't draw that tag. So when somebody they know does, they still want to be part of that hunt, and they're going to be there. They might not have been standing right there, but they're part of it. They're in. They build these big camps, and everybody's up glassing, and you know they're communicating and they're doing all this stuff to successfully help one person. And at the same time, they're learning about that unit. They're learning about the animals in that unit and how to hunt that unit. So maybe when. One day when they draw the tag, they have that resource to, to pull upon. And they've created memories with family and with friends. And I that's I, I love doing that. But, you know, you talk about that, that Mule Deer episode, Beyond the Grid episode from last year, not last year, two years ago now, was the 2022 season. Um, I got really lucky and drew a really hard tag here in the state of Wyoming. And it is pure luck because there's no preference points for residents for elk and deer. I had I had hunted that unit, um, with other folks from the office, not for deer but for cow elk, and it's the season dates for cow elk overlap the hunt dates from that deer tag, and I've been applying for that tag for a long time. What happened was I'd actually spotted that buck, or his exact duplicate twin, the year before in that exact same location he was literally standing within 20 yards of the same tree more of the first time i ever and i'm i'm sure it's the same deer uh was on a trying to help one of the gals from the office here our video producer Lindsay, um fill a cow elk tag i had a cow elk tag she had a cow elk tag and we we were hunting cow elk up there at the same time, storing data away for when I finally ever draw this tag. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? I got in there. We got that buck killed because I knew I'd seen him in there. I'd seen other deer in there on other cow elk hunts. And I'm like, that's where they go. That's a good little honey hole. Then I got the tag in my pocket, and I go in there, and I'm pretty sure it's the same deer. I mean, if, if um, that buck that I that I took had, I think, two teeth, and two of his front teeth left. Everything else was worn down. Wow. He was old. And Guy Eastman picked up the rack, and he goes, that's an old buck. So probably the same deer. He probably been in there rutting every year. Mm-hmm. Um, friend of mine, had the, his dad had the same tag this year, non-resident, so it was points for him. And we spent quite a bit of time bopping around one day, and finally I said, I've got a plan for this evening. We're going to go into this spot, and we're just going to – sit and we're going to glass and he ended up killing 170 inch beautiful five by five mule deer in the same exact basin Mm -hmm. about 100 yards from where i shot mine Mm -hmm. you know and so it's a spot that you've learned that i've learned over time holds these deer and it's such a limited tag which rut mule deer rut hunts should be very limited in nature let's face it we can get on we can get on that sand soapbox in a minute but It's being out there, it's hunting across the board, whether it's for yourself or whether it's family, friends. I just like to be out there Mm -hmm. and to hunt. And if you're doing it right, you're noticing things, you're paying attention to detail, and you're looking at things. So when you have a tag that coincides, you got it. I I give this advice or try to give this advice to guys when I'm answering Tag Hub questions, when I'm answering application strategy questions. Um, as the editor i get a lot of questions hey i've got this you know the famous question i've got this many points what unit should i apply for okay you might be a couple years out as a non-resident from drawing that elk tag or drawing that antelope tag or whatever it might be and i say elk and antelope because this strategy is really applicable to, to them more than more than deer if you've got an elk area or an antelope area that you want to hunt i tell people all the time it's going to take you a few years however many years before you can draw that tag you know it you know the 10 year mark or 11 year mark you should have enough preference points you'll be able to draw it so the year or two before that as you're accumulating points you should start accumulating knowledge on that unit and what's the best way to accumulate knowledge boots on the ground That's great. So guys want to come out and they want to go hike it or they want to do this. That's awesome. But why not come out and get a cow elk tag or a doe fawn antelope tag in the unit you want to shoot a buck in and spend time learning actually where those animals are at the time you want to hunt them. A lot of these doe seasons and cow seasons coincide with type one tags where you could literally shoot a cow out of the herd of elk that you could have shot that bull out of at the same place the same time so if you do that for a couple of years in a row prior to when you're going to draw this bull tag or this buck tag you've got a vast wealth of information at your disposal and you've gotten to take home some vittles you've filled the freezer with cow elk or with or you know with doe antelope mm-hmm. that's I, I try to get guys to do that all the time and I get it guys coming from out of state a lot of times you know they'll have other plans in the fall or they will uh it's a lot of money you know to come and shoot a cow Mm -hmm. but i run into a lot of guys that are doing that exact thing and they're building knowledge base for when they have that bull tag or that
0: buck tag man it's such great advice todd it It's like uh, knowledge about the unit you're hunting is absolutely priceless. It's like to draw one of these good tags and to have that be the first time you step. They're getting harder and harder and harder to draw. Yeah, hundred percent. So stack that deck in your favor. Oh man, I I couldn't agree more. And and scouting's great. I love scouting. I love getting a feel for the unit. It is boots to ground. Um, so like, you know, for, for mule deer, it's like, if you're going to hunt that early season, it's a great time to scout in August or July, you know, to find those bucks. But for elk, they're not really in the areas Mm -hmm. where they're going to rut. Sometimes the cows are, you can look for sign. There's ways that you can gain knowledge about a unit. But the best knowledge you can gain is during the season you want to hunt and spending time in there. And so these places, easy to draw tags or places where you can get a tag uh, every couple years, you start to really learn that unit and you're far more effective. You're two, three, four, five. You know, now some of these units (coughs) I return to, I have such a vast knowledge of. But the other thing you can do is joining guys on hunts, like you're saying, the cow elk hunts, the antelope, and I use that time for scouting as well. Absolutely. So, you know, after I killed my bull this year, the best time to scout for rutting elk is during rutting elk. <laughs> exactly. You know, and so like, I really spent time after I kill my bull helping buddies or yes. glassing different locations, just furthering my knowledge. And I did the same thing with a couple different deer hunts this year where I filled out and then I've already planned the time and I filled out a little bit early, I'm going to take a couple days and I'm just going to explore around. I'm going to use this knowledge for future years and within those couple days I learned way more I I gathered way more information about the unit and also I can take chances. So now I've filled out, I've killed a buck like I don't have to be so aggressive to be at the exact right spot at the right time I can go glass new country I can go glass spots that I want to go check out and actually uh, like I killed a, a good late season buck like a real heavy older buck and uh continued to scout and um that night i turned up a slammer you know and i turned them up on a spot that i've never hunted that's adjacent to a spot that i've hunted and now i know where that buck is now i know this new area and i have the tag for next year so when i go back to this area you know i was able to gain a couple days worth of knowledge of just glassing around and figuring it out so I think if you really want to be consistent harvesting these trophy animals, you have to spend time in these units and further your knowledge about these units. And and, and either hunting the cow, hunting the, the doe antelope, spending time in there with buddies, or just scouting during season taking yeah. a couple days, yep. it's just gonna set you up for success. So next year when I kill that giant buck, it's no accident. I have two, three years of experience there. I spent another two days scouting after I filled out my buck tag. And, and, and it's just going to come to uh, – it, it's going to come into play in years in the future. It's so important.
1: Yeah. You know, you hit on something really valuable there with the fact that you you filled your tag. It was in a spot you were familiar with. You've probably hunted there multiple times. You went and found a cranker in a spot that you've never looked in before. How often are we missing opportunities because our our focus is so narrow – and rightfully so, but we're missing other opportunities because, you know, I, I you know I think about times when uh, maybe something doesn't go your way. The you get a flat tire. You um, the alarm doesn't go off. You know you're laid out of bed on a certain morning, or you know for whatever reason you're out of your program. you you you're you're, 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 out, you're off schedule, right? And because of that. You stumble into something else that you would have never experienced because you'd have been somewhere else at that, normally at that time. And it might, what it might do is it might lead into a new honey hole. It might, you know, you find this deer or this bull in a a spot that at 10 o'clock in the morning because you had a flat tire and it took you that long to actually get going. And guess what? You learn something. Because if an animal does something, especially in archery seasons, when there's pressure, but not pressure like, like, rifle, like gun seasons, right? When an animal does something that's just, he's doing it because it's part of his, his routine, and you stumble upon that, that's a gift. Because you've just expanded that, you've given yourself another spot. Because mm-hmm. if, if he does it once, he's probably going to do it again mm-hmm. at some point. You know, that buck's probably gonna be back in that spot next year, or there'll be another one like him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something about that spot that attracted that deer. Mm-hmm. I I just wonder oftentimes we get so stuck in a rut doing stuff that we do miss out on things. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going here to this trailhead, or we're gonna go we're gonna bomb off at this spot and we're gonna go to this glassing point, we're gonna do this. And it's like it's hard to be flexible. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to be flexible. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about one of the absolute best late season, no, I'm going to go tails on here, but it is Wyoming whitetail spot, one of the best spots that I ever had. And I say had because it was back in the days before e-scouting was a thing. You know, Google Earth was around, but it there was no land ownership. There was no access. You had to read maps and, and do it the old the old way and that's this this spot now is still good but not as good as it used to be just because it's easier to find easier easier to access information you mm-hmm. know but i totally stumbled on this on this thing it was like i'd always hunted this one this one piece and i always hunted like this side of the ridge and for whatever reason whether it was the wind or something and then one day i just happened to go in a, come in a different way Cause I was running late and I needed to cut, make up some ground. And I walked, I walked into the spot, into this glassing knob from a different angle. And it completely changed the way I hunted. I still hunt the same spot, but I completely changed it because I, because I accessed it a different way. I didn't affect the deer movement the same way. And I got up there and I'm seeing more deer than I usually do guess what i was blowing deer out or i was you know so mm-hmm. you, just learning paying attention and being able to be flexible and there's usually us there's usually a, a silver lining to every cloud if you look for
0: it mm-hmm. you know that's it so I, I need to get more flats and miss my alarm more. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep in, Brian. Take it easy. <laughs> no, no. Uh, That's I, not the point. No, no. I get your point. No, you're making a really good point. Uh, you do have to take chances, you yes. know, and, and in these spots, uh, knowledge is king. And so, you know, I was hunting a new state this year and, um. You know, and this hunt started off like I had e-scouted a bunch of places and I had my first pick all the way through my third, fourth, fifth pick. Well, I showed up at my first pick and there was no deer there. It was like not. And so how I e-scouted the unit is I thought like these high mountain ranges with the timber and the big canyons Mm -hmm. would hold the deer. And what I started to find is they weren't in the lowland ag, they weren't in those big mountains, they were in the foothills in between. So I had to focus on this good foothill country. Well, anyways, I finally started turning up some bucks and some deer and the hunt started to get pretty good. And I had this one spot where I was hiking out off this closed road and I was glassing down into that mid range from the top and it was working good. I was turning up bucks, I hadn't turned up any shooters. And so I'd found this good location that I was hunting after striking out on a couple different spots. But I finally had this good spot. And so uh, my thought was the next morning, I thought, well, I can go into this good spot I found, but I've got one good spot now. I can continue to hunt this for the week. There you go. Now, let me look at my map and see what else looks like this country. What else holds these foothills in here that come off this big mountain range? And so I was able to look on the same mountain range and go south instead of north. And I thought, well, I'm just going to take a chance this morning. Mm-hmm. Like I I want to further my knowledge. So uh, I'm going to go check out this other spot that has foothills that looks like this. And now I'll return back to this spot. I'll hunt it this evening, next evening or the next morning. And so, you know, I took a chance on a new spot and went out there and used the information that I gained. Well, I went to that spot and all of a sudden I started turning up bucks and I turned up two shooters and made a play, ended up arrowing a buck. Like just by taking that chance and going somewhere new. And sure, you can strike out and I still had that other spot in my back pocket that I could return to, but I just want to further my knowledge about the unit and see if I can apply what I've learned here and if this spot is just as good. So taking those chances on new spots and new locations inside a unit and not getting so stuck in a rut of the same trailhead, the same drainage, the same mountain and hunting the same place year after year, you expand your knowledge to maybe the next drainage over, explore this. And I think that explorers mindset. I think um, uh, it it kills a lot of animals, furthers your knowledge. And and then, you know, you've got your backup plan that you can go to. But I think it is important to like take those chances and just try to further your knowledge. And even though I hunt a lot of these units multiple years, every year that I'm hunting it, You know, whether I've hunted it five times, whether I've hunted it two times, I'm always looking for like the next spot I can explore, the next drainage. And so I'm always working that into my hunt plan that I've got this drainage I know I've killed three bucks out of and I know it's good back there. But what about the drainage next to it? Mm-hmm. What, what about hunting this mountain range to the south for two, three days, and then getting in, in into my honey hole? Right. Like just furthering that knowledge every year. Uh, you know, it it seems like it creates opportunities and creates more knowledge, and then. You know, to really transpose the information you find, like you mentioned it, uh, like why a mule deer's there and in this hole or why he's in this spot. It, it's like to really take that information to find a buck mule deer or a group of bucks or whatever elk rutting in a drainage, all of a sudden, like, To transpose that information inside the unit is powerful because that's where they like to be inside that unit. So you start to key in and go, well, all these deer are in this cover on this north side or the east side slopes where there's a lot of shade. Okay, well, where else is a north or an east slope that looks similar to what I'm hunting in this unit? And then you go check out that spot, and sure enough, there's bucks there, there's mm-hmm. bulls there, whatever. So really, being able to transpose that information in real time inside that unit, being willing to explore, uh, I think that's like the key to to really being consistently successful. Yeah, you
1: start playing chess. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's yeah. what that you go from just. Setting up the checkerboard and playing with Grandpa to, You're playing chess <laughs> at yeah. at that point, you know. Yeah. And I have, you know, in being a Wyoming resident, I'm incredibly blessed, and and the biggest reason that I chose to to live here is elk. I lo- I'm an elk guy. I, I love big mule deer. They're awesome. But I really think you're either an elk guy or you're a mule deer guy, you know. And I'm an elk guy, and I have. The area that, I, area that that we're sitting in now, the area that I live in, is it's the, what is it now? The third best place in the world to kill a Boone and Crockett Bull. Wow. Park County, Wyoming is now the third, has the third most Boone and Crockett score, you know, um, awards, entries of any county. There's uh, Coconino Co- 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 County and... Uh, Someplace in Utah. Yeah, so
0: that was Arizona and then Utah. And then Utah. Yeah, you have to hunt where they live if you want to That's kill a big one.
1: That's just it. Yeah. You do. The, here, but here's the rub. Okay. Um, and I guess this is what I'm getting at to go back to what you were saying is we were talking yesterday. This is big country. Big country. And to hunt it effectively on foot is incredibly difficult. It's really best hunted with stock, with, with off horseback. Even if you're day hunting drainages from from the trailhead it's still you're just you're covering ground more effectively you can get into where those elk really want to be more effectively yeah is there are the elk easy to get to elk yeah but they're usually on private property so you're gonna you're probably not gonna pay for access you're probably gonna have to have strings you know you're gonna probably have connections to get to those elk so your option on some of these general tags then are you're gonna it can be done you know, there's guys that do it every year. There's a there's a local guy. He's been in. I bet I've put him in EBJ almost as much as you've been in it over the years. He's a killer, and he kills a general tag bull every single year. And I don't know his secret. I don't pry. That's one of the things about being the editor. I have access to a ton of information, but I don't abuse that and I don't pry. I don't ask for spots. You know, I don't do those things. Um, I've asked his opinion on a couple spots and he's he's very willing to give it to me like what i'm getting at is to to effectively hunt elk bull elk every year we can have a general tag in wyoming i'm putting in for my limited quota options are here in these big in these awesome areas around where i live because i live in one of the best elk areas in the world so my limited quota options are going to be there because i know if i have that limited quota tag i'm going to Dedicate the time to it. There's probably going to be resources at my disposal that I can dedicate to it that wouldn't be there for just a general OTC tag, right? So, my goal was I wanted to find a general over the counter elk area where success was high. High, I'm and by high, I'm looking in that 20, 20% or above in some place that I can take my family. I want to be able to take five, six days every September or, and again, in October if need be, and do out camp. I want my kids to grow up having that experience. I want them to be in the woods with me. I want them to, you know, go walk an old closed logging road and, and, you know, bugle up a bull or just be out there. You know, go for a walk with grandpa and shoot a grouse. You know, those types of things are important to me. It's really hard to do that here where I live for a couple reasons number one the elk in the general areas here are it's very rugged they tend to be quite removed they're harder to get to the other one quite frankly are grizzly bears that's a that is a factor in in that factors into where I spend my time with my family I'm not going to take the chance with my seven-year-old out there on a on an elk hunt that we bump into a bear and have a have an altercation I'm not going to take that chance so I'm looking for something that I can hunt every year that has a pretty high success rate, so there's lots of elk in it, and I can do it with my family because it's something that's important that I want to I build that tradition. So I went into that search knowing that it's probably going to be like a five-year plan because, yeah, you can research it on TagHub and find the unit. I can look on Onyx and eScout it or go on, you know figure out the basics of it right but until i go down there and spend a year in there and learn okay this spot was a bust this spot was a bust but ooh this i got an elk in here what other spots look like that mm-hmm. so then i start hunting this one and i start exploring around the unit and i'm not as focused on necessarily killing a bull as i am learning where those elk are and where they want to be so I can go back. I can perpetuate. Once I, once I establish success, then I can perpetuate that success every single year. It's close to it, close to it as I can, because I'm trying to build a spot. Does that make sense?
0: 100%.
1: I'm trying to build that knowledge base where, so I can go in there on a weekend and have, or a long weekend and have a good crack at coming home with a bowl. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and that takes time. Mm -hmm. And for residents of Western states that have opportunity tags, I'm thinking Montana, Idaho, Colorado, Wyoming, um, even some of the stuff in Arizona, there's more opportunity out there than I think people realize. If you're always holding out for that just stellar tag and you're never hunting, when it comes down to, you know, by the time you draw that tag, you don't, have any hunting experience built up. So I want to hunt every year. I want to hunt as much as I possibly can. And it it takes time. It takes learning a spot. You know, the spot that I the spot that I've chosen is and I went through several of them before I found what I was looking for and I still haven't killed an elk in that unit, but I will. Mm-hmm. You know, I I went down one the first year we did the family camp, man, I was in elk every day, Brian but I was constantly like, ooh, but there's that set, of, there's that topography over there that looks similar. I'm going to go see if there's elk in that. And the weather was crap. You know, I had five, six days. I had sick kids in the tent. You know, there are a lot of things that work against you that you can't control. But I was like, okay, I want to learn as much about this as I can. So then I went back in October, and I was in elk every day, you know, again. And had... I had an opportunity at a small bowl that was right on the edge of some of a Canyon. And there was about a foot of snow and I was alone. And I thought to myself, I have a feeling that if I pull the trigger on that bowl, he's going to end up in the bottom of that Canyon. <laughs> oh yeah. <sure laughs> and now. I'm yeah, by yeah. myself, yeah, you know? Right. And so discretion was the better part of valor on that one. And it's I, free. and I let him walk. And, uh, but it was like every single one of those encounters is building that knowledge base. So maybe when my when my seven year old is twelve, we go down there and we kill a bull, mm-hmm. because Daddy's put in the time and the legwork, and so has she and everybody else. Or maybe in two maybe this year we go down and my wife kills one, you know, or I kill one, or whatever. But we've built that time, we've built that tradition you know i pulled my kids out of school for 5 days and it's cuz i'm a firm believer in not letting your kids education get in the way of their learning and it takes time mm-hmm. if it's so what if you're not successful that first year maybe that's maybe that those lessons learned lead into success three years in a row after that mm-hmm. but it's being being willing to go and explore and learn and step outside the box and do that stuff that yeah it's invaluable yeah 100%. it's invaluable
0: yeah man you're so spot on yeah i love um your dedication to your family and your friends you're always taking your family fishing trips and I hunting trips i and love it yeah no it's it's great it's like uh the way it should be it's the way they should be raised it's amazing but but you you just bring up like such a good point it's like knowledge is power it's not just killing or arrowing a bull or a buck and it's not it's not you know you're chasing this goal but really knowledge is the key and and while you're talking about this like i i hunt new spots but the majority of the spots I hunt, like I are, are spots that I'm expanding my knowledge mm-hmm. that I've hunted before, and so I have good working knowledge in all of the western states because I've hunted all of them. Yep. And sure, I try some units and I don't see what I'm looking for, and then I'm on the search for another unit, and then I'm going to explore that unit. But what I've done is I built this good working knowledge in all these western states on these easy to draw tags that I have experience and this knowledge in, and, and so you know now I can apply across the country and i know if i draw this tag that i've hunted it a couple times and i found bucks here and i'm also looking to expand that knowledge that year but that is the key man it's like learning these units or these areas that you can go back to year after year and it's not you know killing a big bull or a big buck to me is not drawing some special tag it's building my skill sets yes. to a point where i can show up at a good unit if i draw or even an easy to draw unit and i show up to the trailhead and i'm undeniable i have you know such a good working knowledge uh, of the history of the unit and the animals in the unit you know i practice shooting under pressure i know that i can make a shot my stalking is clutch and, and like my glassing and like all these different skill sets that make you a complete hunter that's what's going to dictate whether or not you have success or not. It's not just getting lucky and drawing a tag and showing right. up and killing a three eighty bull. It's building all these skill sets to when you find a three eighty bull, you got a really good chance to kill him. You know, and that's so that's what you yeah. focus on: is those skill sets, yes. getting better, improving, uh, gaining knowledge in these places, and 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 not just knowledge like of that year of scouting, but multiple years of knowledge. That's the key, man. You ever fished Alaska? Um, Yes, I have. Yeah. Uh, just a little
1: bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first time, I don't know what your experience was, but the first time that I fish, and I'm talking the very first hour that I fished in Alaska, I was so overwhelmingly disappointed <laughs> <laughs> that it wasn't <laughs> funny. I You spend your whole life as a fly fisherman, as a fisherman in general, hearing about Alaska this, it's the... the holy grail the promised land right the fish will literally jump out of the water into your net and you're just it's so easy a caveman could do it they're bringing back those commercials by the way um it wasn't like that dude i got there i got to this spot and i got my butt kicked for like two days i couldn't catch a fish there were, the salmon weren't in the river, so I was, what I was doing I was fishing for Dolly Varden, right in the right in the on the tide line. Mm-hmm. So I was I'm trying to figure out how to fish these tides. I didn't have; they were very selectively feeding on uh, alevins, not salmon smolt. They were eating alevins at that point, little salmon, basically the chums that spawn in brackish water, and. Uh, eating the, the little, it like a minnow with an egg sac on them still. They haven't absorbed that egg sac completely, and they're just kind of crawling around in the gravel. And then the current would dislodge them, and they get in the free flow, and they can't really swim, so they're just like dead drifting along, and then they'll swing out, and that's what those Dolly Vardens were keying on. It took me two days to figure that out. It took me two days of thinking about life cycles of salmonids, what the salmon that, in the Great Lakes, would be doing at this time what the you know what the what the brown trout and steelhead would be feeding on in the Great Lakes at this time. Well, they be eating alevins and smolt. It's got to be it. Tied up a couple alevin patterns. The next night was fire. I mean fire. It was the Alaska that everybody hears about. It's the same thing with these good big game units. There's not a booner behind every tree. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to put in the time. You're going to have to put in the work because it's hard. You know, Boone and Crockett animals are Boone and Crockett animals because they're exceptional specimens. They're not the norm. Mm -hmm. A 400-inch bull elk is not the norm. Mm -hmm. And in our modern world of social media and comparing each other to each other constantly, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. You want to ruin your a big something you're proud of? Go compare it to something that somebody else has done. You're gonna you're gonna tarnish that really fast. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. You know, we we've set these. You know, I, and I get this with the magazine, Brian, where guys are like, "Oh, you know, it's just a 180 inch buck." You know, he's not big enough for the magazine. I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yes, we feature ginormous animals on the covers. We celebrate these enormous specimens of, of bucks and bulls and rams and goats and bears and whatever because they should be celebrated. Those accomplishments should be celebrated. But just because yours isn't as big as his doesn't, lessen, doesn't cheapen it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we've set that standard, and when I say we, I mean society, hunter, the hunting world, to the point where guys draw a really good unit and they're like, oh, I'm not shooting unless it's 400 inches. Do you know how rare a 400-inch bull is? And I'm not asking you. I'm asking people in general. It's like, we have when did a 330 elk become small? That's a big bull. It's a giant bull, man. That's a big bull. That's what I'm chasing year yeah, after year. Yeah, me too. That's, yeah. The, that's the gold standard. You know, for me, it's like, depending on unit, yeah, these general units that I was just talking about, this one I'm learning – First, it's A-ball. Just, just get A-ball. Then it's, now. I want a six-point, and I want to try to kill a six-point ball in that general unit every year. Are some of them going to be little? Maybe. Are some of them going to be big? Sure, maybe. It's not a trophy unit, right? It's a general unit. When I draw a really good type one, yeah, I'm going to have a goal of killing a, a 350. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. If I get a really good opportunity at bowl that might not be quite 350 and I know it, I'm probably going to take it. Mm-hmm. I'm not um, and you know who's really really good at this um, Guy and Dan are really good at setting a goal and not compromising on that goal but we're also talking about Guy in particular has got such a vast um, bank of hunts in his back pocket. Guy's been on more elk hunts than most people will ever even think about going on. And so he can, he's got all that. He's been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. And it's like, if he wants to set a goal of a 380 bull and eat that really good tag because he doesn't find it, that's one thing. If you're going into a unit that you've never been into before, maybe hunted cow elk in it, like we talked about earlier, you finally draw it and you've only killed one bull in your life to set that bar at, 380 that's awesome but holy smokes man you you may never even see a bull mm-hmm. in three in three hunts or are three lifetimes in there that hits 380 even in some of these top top tier units mm-hmm. so i don't know, managing expectations managing um and and tipping the tipping the scales in your favor with as much knowledge as possible is huge but thinking you're going to walk into any of these units and shoot, especially mule deer. It's like, I, I feel like elk and mule deer are are, are doing this. We're coming, we're, we've been out of the golden era of mule deer for a while now. And it continues, deer numbers continue to shrink, right? We know this. Elk numbers across the country, especially the West, are continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. There's more opportunity to hunt elk than there ever has been. Trophy quality is continuing to expand every year. And so what we're seeing is an inverse relationship between the two, but everybody wants that 200-inch deer. And they think, oh, I drew I drew the strip. I drew a strip tag. I'm going to kill a 230. Really? I see a lot of deer come off the strip over the year, over uh, the course of a, of a season. And in fact, I probably see most of the ones that get killed. And maybe one or two are that big you know there's a lot of really nice deer in that 180 to 100 to
0: 200 inch range those are big deer those are giant deer those are big deer yeah yeah, I it it's wild so yeah, you're spot on, man. It's like um we're all in different paths in our own journey. And yes. if you're gonna set really high goals, you're gonna have to eat some good tags. Absolutely. Too, you know, and what you really wanna do is build your skill set to a point where, you know, you can target larger animals and get opportunities and be success. But yeah, it's like a be successful. But I, I think you bring up a good point is like, man, the fun's in the journey, the fun's yep. in doing it. It's like you wanna shoot good animals, but um you set your goals too high, like, um, uh, and, and maybe higher than the unit can produce. You're that's just what, I was, at, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I was getting at more than anything. Yeah, that's what I was getting at more than anything,
1: Brian. There's nothing wrong with having high goals. Because if you want to attain greatness at anything, you have to have lofty goals. Because mm-hmm. if you set the bar too high on something, it's easy to achieve. And that's, that's mediocrity, man. But it's a little different when we're talking about hunting because – Maybe your unit doesn't have any 200-inch deer in it. Right. Well, what does your unit have? So you go into Tag Hub and you dig up that historic harvest information and you find, okay, success rate on four-point mule deer is this, or success rate on six-point bull elk is this. That gives me an idea, okay, I have a 32.4% chance of killing a six-point bull in this unit. That's pretty good, so that's going to be my goal. is mm-hmm. a six point, yep. you know. And in states like Nevada, where they give you more, they give you quite a bit of detail. And, and a lot of these states may not publish the data that they record. I know Wyoming records spread on mule deer, where they have like three classifications brackets that these deer fit in. If I was looking for a truly trophy mule deer in a in a limited quota unit, I would want to call the biologist from that area. And I would want to ask them how many deer in the last three years have been harvested with a 25 inch or greater inside spread. They keep track of that information. Mm -hmm. That's going to give you an idea where where you set your goal. Yeah. It's, it's spread. Okay.
0: But let's, let's tell you a lot.
1: Yeah. Let's face it. If you kill a deer with a 28 inch inside spread, that's a, Probably a toad of a buck. Yeah,
0: 25 plus is oh, a toad yeah. of a buck. Yeah. Ex- exactly. And so that's why Dan and Guy are so good at setting their goals and their Correct. expectations because they, they know what what's in units. the unit. Exactly. That they, it's knowledge, you exactly. know. And I, I just want to return back to something you said about salmon fishing or uh, fishing for dollies in Alaska. So I think this is really important is the point that you made is you went two days without catching any fish. Uh, and you figured out what they were feeding on, tied on the right thing, and then had dynamite fishing, I think a lot of this is like, solving the puzzle of the unit like you show up to a unit not every place you e-scout it is going to turn out not every place you think there's a big buck there'll be a big buck and so you're using what you're seeing but you're also using what you're not seeing you know it's like you're getting to these good vantage points at the right time you don't turn up bucks they're not in the spot you can cross it off the list but so much of this Uh, being successful is just solving the puzzle of where the game likes, where they wanna be, how they're interacting. And so like when you show up to a unit, the same way as you showed up to Alaska, it's overwhelming you show up in this mm-hmm. big unit it looks different than when you e-scouted the first couple spots you check don't There's have any always animals more
1: timber than you think
0: <laughs> yeah, totally, <laughs> totally, man. yeah and the you, you know and you make these plans for e-scouting and the mountains are always bigger than yes. you think as well you, you know so like, uh... like a big part of this or the the enjoyment that i get is like being able to solve that puzzle in mm-hmm. in different units, in different states, but that's almost like what you got to go, that's almost where your your headspace has to be, is you have to show up and solve the puzzle of this unit to unlock the secrets and the potential that it holds, yep. and when you get better at solving that puzzle in different habitats or different species, it carries over to the where then you have confidence. When I show up in a new spot, it's like, well, I know what I'm doing, I know how I'm going to attack this unit, like, I'll turn up some bucks in here and mm-hmm. probably end up arrowing one yep. because I'm good at solving that puzzle and yep. so I think that's what you gotta be good at is like solving the puzzle of these units to figure it out
1: 100% and, and managing reactions you know I just you and I yesterday we talked about the most recent uh, YouTube video from with that the Matthews guys mm-hmm. put together and they did it it's a year old but you know the content was just released recently released and it was about uh, Kodiak Island hunting Sitka blacktails on Kodiak Island with that uh, that lift that was wasn't oh, I don't think the bow was on the market yet, but they were testing and really cool video and obviously really really great bow too. But really cool video. But the thing that got me about that is having literally done the exact same thing that those guys have done. I did it in 2004 and 2000 through through, through 2006. When you get off the plane on Kodiak, nothing can prepare you for those mountains. Even if you're from where, we're, where we live and we got big mountains, and you look at the elevation on those mountains, and these guys on the video are talking about, they're like, oh, it's only 2,500 feet. Mm hmm. It's 2,500 feet to the peak, and it's, it goes from sea level to 2,500 in about half a mile. It is vertical and you get out you walk out you disembark disembark off your airplane at the onto the tarmac and walk in and Barometer Mountain is right there looming over the town and you that's the it's looming over you and you're like holy crap and your preconceived notions of yeah they're short mountains it's no big deal goes out the window and they're covered in grass and they're covered in devil's club and they're covered in tag alders None of no amount of e scouting can prepare you for that. And every single time that I've gone to a new place, it's been something like that. The timber's thicker than it looks like on Onyx. the The mountains are bigger. The distances are bigger. I remember getting familiarized with the unit that the elk unit. Now that I really enjoy hunting, uh, the first year, my wife drew the tag. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to look at this. We're going to make this big loop. This big, this drainage goes into three forks and we're going to go up the west fork, depending on wind or maybe the east fork. And we're going to just hunt the head of each one of those and then drop back down and be at the truck. Yeah. In a week, (laughs) you know, So true. once I laid eyes on that, I thought you could do one drainage, one drainage would be an entire, to learn it, take an entire season. And I know. One and a half of those drainages extremely well now. Like, I know where every wallow is. I know where those elk go. I know how they use it. And that's over, like, four or five years of hunting it myself, having having friends who have the tag, helping them, being in there, cutting firewood, you know, recreating and hunting spring bears in there, you know, just being in the unit. I've never made the loop that I had originally planned on e-scouting. There's no way. It's massive.
0: But on – onyx you're like oh yeah i
1: can do that in an afternoon so true
0: nope yep yeah i spent 20 years like well you come over to the madison valley we try to fish every year and um man i've been hunting that Madison Valley, uh, uh, for 20 years and, um, I'm still finding new spots. Oh, I yeah. killed my bull in a new location. I have never really? been last year, you Good know, for so you. it's like just continuing to learn in these spots, but it's, it's endless. These units are so big. There's so much to learn and take in, but yeah, it's such a, a huge part of being successful. So, um, yeah, so you're uh, also the editor for the magazine. That's good. You got me a, a good article to write for the next um, issue. And I'm really excited you have me um, uh, writing uh, the anchor point of taking a chance. bow hunting journey. We're, we're taking a <laughs> chance, man. Dude, it's like a dream. Man, I've been <laughs> reading that thing for 10, 15 years for as long as that magazine's been out. And yeah. I always read that anchor point. And you do a great job at writing them. But I'm really pumped to be able to write that.
1: I tell you what, but, you and I had big shoes to fill oh man you know guy 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 put that thing together uh the ebj magazine with with cameron haynes and for years and years and years that anchor point was one of them and then i started picking it up and now i'm passing the torch to
0: you and dan Mm -hmm. you guys are going to take turns doing it so i'm
1: stoked to see what you guys produce me
0: too yeah. Well, you do such a good job with that magazine Thank and you're you. able to see so many successful hunters in the magazine. Um, man, it's so fun. I love reading the subscriber stories and you really help guys out to uh, be able to articulate their experience, uh, of, of, the trophy animal that they've harvested. And so, um, man, I, I really think like big shoes to fill, but I think, um, you're like the best editor that we've ever had for these <laughs> magazines like man i I just um really appreciate what you do for the magazines and what you do for guys as well. It's like, man, I can pass on your email to a guy, and I know that you're gonna take care of them and bring their um bring their story to light like well, uh, it's,
1: it's their magazine, yeah, you know that's the way this that's the way the Eastman's model that's what differentiates it and <laughs> has from the beginning. It's not you if you ask Mike well, I did ask Mike when we did the two hundredth issue. If you could change one thing, what would it be? And he's like, my name wouldn't be on the magazine. It wouldn't be Eastman's Hunting Journal. It would be something else because he didn't – the magazine is about the subscribers. It's about the people that are in the magazine, the pages. We're just filling pages, page space and helping to provide some of the stuff that we're blessed enough to get to know because we get to hunt a little bit here and there or something like you get to hunt a lot, and and you develop – like we've talked about this entire time we've got this wealth of knowledge and if it can make someone else a better hunter or help them have a better experience that's what it's all about mm-hmm. but yeah those pages that's it's for them mm-hmm. it's it's for the hunters and it's it's super cool to be able to see all the different animals and get to help people tell their stories you know and we're and we're doing something right now if you're listening to this i would encourage you to really take a look at the digital versions of mm. EBJ and EHJ. If you are a subscriber, you get a free digital version. It's on Eastman. Go to eastmans.com. You log in. You might have to set up your account, but it's easy. If you have questions, call me. I can. We can help you. But the digital versions of the stories are the full-length versions. We've never, ever – published full-length versions of hunt stories in the magazines. And you guys that have been in the magazine know what I'm talking about. You'll write me a 2,500-word story. I can't publish 2,500 words. I don't have the page space to do that. So what I do is I distill that story to its essence, try to get the best part, and that's what we print. And it might be, it's usually somewhere between 700 and 900 words. If there's lots of great pictures, I'll take it down even more and let the pictures tell the story almost everybody writes twice that or more and there's so much detail that's lost because I just don't have the space to print every full-length story in digital I'm not limited by that these four these stories if you write me a 3,500 word story in digital it's 3,500 words wow all I did was clean it up okay and, and that's all I did with it.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. I've looked at the digital version. I didn't know that they were... Um,
1: They're full length. We full call length, it expanded content. Oh. We, we call yeah. it expanded content. Oh, cool. And it's it's nothing new. You know, when we first started kind of promoting this, uh, folks got upset thinking we were taking their mag, you know, shrinking their magazines. Like, no, we're giving you more for the same price, mm-hmm. for the same cost. Um, just the added bonus, added benefit that, technologies allowed us to do you know back in the day all those stories got got cut down for the most part mm-hmm. um but when we started the digital one i looked at that immediately and, and was like asked the, my designer jml i said would you be could we do full-length story could we do two versions and she was like yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and ike and ike loved the idea and so there's way more content um on the digital versions of the journals. Okay. That's on the website. So go there. You should be Helpful. And I'm not and I'm not trying to transition people away from reading the print magazine cuz let's face it nothing replaces the feel sitting
0: down with a magazine and reading. I love a print magazine. Yeah, yeah, I do Maybe too. Maybe it's just my age or yeah, whatever, but I used it's... to love those hunting magazines. Well, yep. and still do. Yep, I still appreciate them. But yeah, it's such a such an honor to like uh, be published in that magazine, and I can still remember the first stories that I ever wrote for Eastman's, and it's like such an honor to be published in that magazine, but it's such like a great way to share your story with family and friends. And the way that we do it, you're able to protect locations and spots. You can even change the background of the photo. You're never giving away specific units, specific areas. And so they're, they're able to get this printed out, but it's like writing, you know, we were, uh, we were talking yesterday about some of our favorite writers, but writing is like this Uh, such a great way to express yourself where you get to really think about what you want to say the meat of it or the meat of this story. And it's not like a podcast where it's off the top of your mind, which I love that format as well as what we're doing now. But right. I love the format of being able to write and really think about the points I want to make or or really go through a paragraph and have it read the exact way I want it to read. And it's so fun to be able to share your hunt and then let your your wife or your family or your dad or uh, your friends give them a copy of the magazine and Eastman's does such a great job where you're going to get 10 copies of the magazine. We also, uh, you know, there's also uh, gifts that we give for being printed in the magazine that can be anything from a Matthews bow to a new rifle, to a rifle scope or whatever, uh, that we're giving away. But it, it's such a great thing to be able to share this story in a writing format. And even if you're not a writer, the good thing is Todd is. He's like a great writer. And so <laughs> he can walk this through you. In fact, you've even written stories for guys that you've done interviews over the phone for. I and try not to make no, that a habit, no, but totally. I have done a couple. Totally, Derek but Wolf, if it, you're listening it, to this. <laughs> it's, yeah, right, totally. <laughs> That was the one I was thinking of. But um, I, I just think, um, man, if if you guys are fortunate enough to harvest a tree trophy like, um, think about writing an article for Eastman's and getting a hold of Todd, seeing if he's interested in it and uh, having him help you out. But it, it's such an honor uh, to be published in these magazines. And, you know, maybe part of it is I grew up reading these magazines and held such high regard, the stories that I read, and I'd race to my mailbox every time to get the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. It's like, man, I love that magazine and continue to love that magazine. Yeah. I read every article in there every every issue. And when it shows up, my wife knows not to bug me for a couple days. Cause I'll be in that magazine, you know, like I, I love doing it and I love being a part of, it. but I just, I just want to let you guys know, like, um, if you guys kill a trophy and, and you put in the work and, um, Man, really think about, like, sharing your story with an audience of like-minded readers as well as your family and friends, man. It's just a – it's an awesome experience that I'll remember for the rest of my life as being published in that magazine, it's, especially the first handful of times. Yep. It was incredible, man. So I, I just wanted to pass that on to the audience.
1: I appreciate that, and I, I think you're right, Brian. I think there's I, – I talk to folks every year where I'll – I do a lot of soliciting via social media, you know, I I joke with everybody in the office that's like, Yeah, you guys are out hunting and hunting in the real world and I'm hunting digitally, you know. <laughs> I am. I'm hunting when I see big animals, man, I'm on it. And that's a big part of how I get content. And it's it's refreshing for me to see the number of folks that be like, No, 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 I I don't I don't want it. I don't you know, I don't want any attention to you know the humility it's refreshing to see that and i applaud it but at the same time i w- one of the unintended consequences or rewards of when you are published is you have that story then forever you know you can i can send you a digital pdf that you can frame and put on the wall you have hard copies of the magazines you have a professionally done layout, and it's there for your kids to look at, for your grandkids to look at, for just to kind of memorialize the whole thing is a probably the biggest reason to submit a story and and, and they don't all get chosen, but um if you submit it, it's in the hunt, you know. And if you're worried like you said, if you're worried about spots, I would I would venture a guess to say that If you see a landscape, any sort of a landscape, in an Eastman's Hunting Journal magazine, that landscape probably doesn't exist in real life. That picture has been altered and edited to the point where it doesn't exist. Now, can't do it with all of the pictures, but we don't publish spots. Not not ever will I publish a spot. I've had folks ask to even leave the state off. And I'm like, deal, done. Because I get it, man i get it i've had spots burned when you know for different reasons but that's something that's really important is we're not going to burn your spot send me your stuff i'd love to put you in the magazine it is your magazine and and i'm with you you know i got i got i'm sitting here with you today because my wife killed a big bull elk and i submitted a story i was thinking of that too i mean yeah you don't ever know you don't ever know how things are going to turn out
0: that's it yeah (laughs) well man um I could talk to you all day. I burned up a bunch of your time. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, Really enjoyed this podcast. And um, I think we just have to make more of a habit. Like uh, there's such great conversations. And a lot of times we have them in private. But uh, I just got to hit record and got to get one from you, you know, um, each and every year, if not more. But I I, I really enjoyed this talk.
1: I did too. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yep. All right. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Again, fun conversation with Todd. That was a great one. Uh, we put out some some good episodes in the past, so it's good to get them back on and have some of these in-depth conversations. I really enjoyed it. So uh, thanks to our sponsors. I want to thank Savage Arms. Uh, super accurate rifles right out of the box. Uh, Sig Sauer Optics. So impressed with their... Uh, their new um, high-end glass. I'm so impressed by the image stabilization binos and the best rangefinder in the market and tons of other optics. Check them out if you're in the market for some new op- optics. Black Ovis, again, that promo code is extra10 on that. And uh, Camel Fire, where you can save some money. So uh, thanks to Eastman's. It was a good show there. Just a whirlwind of a few days and back to getting my runs, my workouts in, which is a good thing. And... Um, yeah just uh trying to uh put in my apps for um all these states so we got a couple states checked off and got put in at the expo i think results come out tomorrow it's a long shot but there's quite a few tags up for grabs so you never know i've got my name and a few hats and see what what comes up and uh, definitely getting ready for new mexico uh putting in for that app colorado a couple different places so um yeah, getting ready to uh, get all applied and see what I end up with and see if I can't shape a season out of it. So I'm I'm sure I'll end up with some good opportunities. And, and hopefully you guys are planning for next season, uh, getting some plans in the books so you guys know that you're elk hunting or know that you're deer hunting or have a good adventure for the fall. So, man, with that, uh, let's wrap this thing up. And I'll check in with you guys next week.